welcome back to the LifeWire Politics Podcast. I am your host, David Stenke, and can you believe that next week is Thanksgiving? Now, depending on who you ask, either this year went by really fast or really slow, but either way, here we are, and there's still plenty to be thankful for. So if you stick around for the rest of the episode, we're going to leave a resource to a great organization that you can donate to uh, just to lift the spirit of of this year just a little bit higher in its trajectory as we go into 2021. So with that, we're going to get started with the episode. Now, I have received quite a few messages asking to do an episode about student debt and specifically student debt forgiveness, because just this past week, there were over 239 organizations that are urging President-elect Biden to cancel student loan debt on day one of his presidency by executive order. And again, since we're all experts on the Electoral College from our previous episode, we know that we have not yet elected the president. In fact, where we are right now, the results are being contested. There are recounts. So after that process has been resolved, there is a deadline. After that deadline, those results are then certified. And once those election results are certified, then in December, the Electoral College votes. Once that is done, it either goes to a one candidate who wins the majority, or if there isn't a majority, for some reason, the U.S. House of Representatives will vote for president. And obviously, the Supreme Court can factor in, as we saw in the year 2000 with Bush v. Gore. So there is still some election runway ahead of us. So let's frame the student debt conversation. Let's talk about how much debt is currently on the books as of today. Let's look at the historical cost of colleges over the years Let's look at who would benefit most by student loan forgiveness. We're going to take a look at where that debt will actually go and some of the proposals on how to pay for it and whether or not we should be doing it in the first place. So let's start with how much student debt we currently have on the books today. So the year 2020, American students are currently on the hook for over $1.6 trillion in student loans. And each year, about 34% of students borrow money to pay for college. And the average student is about $30,000 in debt once they graduate. And obviously this is very problematic because large amounts of debt discourages what we would consider desirable economic activity. You know, starting businesses, uh, getting married, buying homes. You know, if you look at millennials and Gen Y, those generations are just not doing those things at the rates that previous generations did. And of course, there's a multitude of reasons that might contribute to that, but also those generations harbor the vast majority of student loan debt. So I think it's really important to really look at the rise in cost decade after decade for colleges and universities. You know, I had a professor back in college who told me that he was able to fund the vast majority of his education with only his summer job, which when we look at the data in just a second here, you're going to think that's mind-boggling that there was a time that you could do that. So back in 1963, the average annual tuition to a four-year public university was about $1,286. And compared to today, that number is closer to $10,555. And when you adjust for inflation, it goes up about 140% over that timeline. And more recently, if you look at even from 1989 to current, we can see that the college university costs have increased almost eight times faster than wages. And obviously this varies from public to private university with respect to uh, pricing. But uh, one final note, 
that in 1989, the same degree that would have cost $52,000 today would cost $101,000 just for an undergraduate degree. Now, many would say, hey, that's almost like having a mortgage without the house. The question then becomes, is that investment worth it? Will that pay off over time? Are job economies now requiring degrees for advancement, or are we now seeing a different shift in perception about the necessity of a four-year college degree? So who would benefit most if the current administration or upcoming administration or even future administrations allow for student loan forgiveness or debt cancellation? So if we look at the top 25% and the bottom 25% of all income earners, we kind of see where that student debt is held. So for the top 25%, about 34% of all education debt is held. The bottom 25% only holds about 12% of all education debt. So student loan debt is really disproportionately concentrated among those that are in a better situation to pay off that debt. You know, many of those that are in that top income bracket took out very expensive graduate degrees, but ultimately they're going to be in a much better position to pay those off. And so by canceling student debt, it actually is regressive because it it disproportionately helps those on the higher end of the income bracket as opposed to those that are on the lower end. Now, that is not to say, of course, that there are uh, plenty of people that are right in the middle, right? And I think that's kind of where we have to look at the policy and how that actually impacts those in the middle. So it should be noted that nearly two-thirds of all Americans don't even hold a degree. And granted, they're going to be, on statistical averages, making less over time compared to those that do. But to do a bailout essentially tells the, the entire country of 255 million adults that we're going to be forgiving student loans for $45 million. And again, sticking to the topic of who it could possibly benefit most, you know, we'd be tone deaf to say that a lot of these decisions are being pushed because of our current economic situation. We are in the middle of a pandemic. And so for those that are actually looking for employment or trying to have some of their household expenses relieved, we've got to look at kind of who would actually benefit in the short term. And, you know, if you look at the unemployment rates, for example, those that are currently unemployed that have a high school diploma have double the amount of unemployment as compared to those that do have a degree. And about 70% of all of those that are currently unemployed don't have a degree and have very little to no student debt. So the question is, if we're trying to create policy to drive a short-term stimulus for those that are impacted by our current pandemic, is that a prudent way to go about it? You know, there is a really great study that was done by the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. I'll leave the, the link in the description. But they went over what it would look like to eliminate the $1.6 trillion in student loans and how that would translate in terms of stimulus dollars. And they found that by fully eliminating the $1.6 trillion in student loan debt, it would translate to only $90 billion in 2021 in terms of economic stimulus and $450 billion over the next five years, which by comparison is just a fraction of the amount. So in addition to that, let's look at some of the proposals. You know, we've obviously just got through in a presidential election cycle. There are a lot of proposals on the Democratic debate stage. So really, if you look at 
the most popular proposals. There's basically three. You've got an upwards of $10,000 loan forgiveness, uh, upwards of 50, and then all debt across the board. Elizabeth Warren proposed a wealth tax to pay for her program, while Senator Sanders proposed a Wall Street speculation tax, which would tax stocks, bonds, and derivative trades. But I think that brings up a fundamental question, and that is, when you cancel student loans, where does it go? Well, it doesn't simply vanish. It gets transferred to the national debt and then becomes a liability for taxpayers rather than borrowers. And you can obviously try to pay for that by instituting new taxes, uh, making adjustments to the current federal spending to augment some of those resources to pay off that student loan debt. But I think if we're being honest with ourselves, that last option doesn't really work well because as we've seen under both Republican and Democratic administrations, the scope and size of the federal government has expanded year after year after year. And we haven't had a balanced budget since 1999. That's 20 years. I mean, just to put into perspective how large the government has grown even in the last 20 years, take this into account. In 2008, if we were to eliminate the federal income tax, that's right, the federal income tax for all individual American citizens, we would still have the same revenues as 1995. That's only 13 years. And we would think we could never eliminate the federal income tax. Well, we can if we decide that we want the size and scope of the federal government to be limited. And we have to talk about incentives, which we're going to get into in just a moment. But when we're talking about student loan debt cancellation, a lot of times what comes up is what we'll call the what about argument. I don't know if this is a technical argument, but I like to call it the what about argument. And that goes something like this. Well, the federal government over the years has bailed out Wall Street time and time again. They bailed out private industry like AIG, the auto industry in 2008, 2009. They've propped up companies like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and then bailed them out when things went wrong. We've we've done this bailout process for corporate America. Why aren't we bailing out the American people when they are in need? And there's part of that argument that I resonate with. I don't agree with corporate welfare. I don't agree with large-scale bailout programs. Because so often it's providing a short-term solution to a long-term problem. It is addressing the symptoms and it's not going to the root cause of the illness. And in this case of student loan debt and cancellation, how can we agree that we're going to bail out the problem and not address the issue with meaningful reforms? I have yet to see any meaningful reforms that would actually change the environment in which this crisis came to be. In other words... Loan forgiveness will only double down on the already failed policy that led to our current crisis. And one major contributing factor to that is the fact that the government has decided to be involved in the student loan business. I mean, think about it. Where else can an 18-year-old obtain a six-figure loan in some cases with no credit, no collateral, The fact that the loans are guaranteed funding for the universities provide the universities no incentive to keep their costs under control. It leaves them very little incentive to find cost cutting when they can because the the loans are guaranteed. Now, obviously, there are other contributing factors to the rise in education costs, but this is a significant one. And if that is not going to be addressed in a meaningful and serious way, 
we're going to be in the same situation 5, 10, 20 years down the line that we're in currently. And then what's going to happen at that point? So let's talk about incentives, because this is all where the conversation is stemming from. If the federal government is subsidizing something, whatever it may be, there's going to be more of it, right? So I always use the classic case of corn. Well, the government has subsidized corn in the form of tax credits and funds for farmers to help with their supply. But unfortunately, there wasn't a high demand for corn that would offset that additional supply. So what happened is we had a massive amount of unwanted corn on our hands here in this country. And as a result of that came high fructose corn syrup, which is a processed sweetener that you'll pretty much find in everything because it was sold super cheap. It achieves the same type of benefit in terms of sweetness, but obviously has a very ill effect in the fact that it's processed. And what else have we done with the excess amount of corn? Well, we provided it as feed to livestock, in particular cows. And cows are not biologically designed to eat corn. They're designed to eat grass. So every time I'm at the market and I see a label that says grass-fed beef, I laugh because that's the way it always has been. And so this is one example among many where the federal government has created a problem in the marketplace and the response is somehow to go back to the government to fix the problem. Well, that's akin to going back to the mechanic that misdiagnosed your engine problem for the fourth time. At one point, you're not going to go back to that mechanic. And somehow we feel like the people that started the problem or the system that started the problem somehow is also the antidote to the crisis. It hasn't worked in the past and it's not going to work this time. You know, many students that have decided to take a frugal path through higher education, whether it be through taking a part-time job, going to a lesser expensive school, well, you know, they've had to make sacrifice. Or what about all of those folks that have made those payments on time for 10, 20, or 25 years? What about those that just recently paid off their debt? Would they be eligible for a refund check for positive payment history? Did you know that only 55% of everyone who holds a student loan debt to the federal government is actually making payments on time? Would they be entitled to more or less compared to those that haven't made any payments at all? Beth Akers of the Manhattan Institute has said that if we get into a system where people anticipate their loans to be forgiven in the future, I think we're only going to see the problem exacerbated. And there are currently programs that are in play and actions that we can support that actually would make a substantial difference. Right now, anyone with a student loan can enroll in a repayment plan that ties their monthly payment to their income. It's capped. We can also look at re-evaluating and tweaking the bankruptcy laws. And the point is, forgiving student loan debt might on the surface look like a noble and compassionate act to help a lot of people. It's really a representation of a microcosm of a larger systemic issue, and that is a real character defect in the American fabric. A fabric of bailouts and the alleviation of social and personal responsibility. You take out a loan, you gotta pay it back. And as we previously mentioned, the vast majority of those that would benefit from loan forgiveness are actually those that are able to pay off their loans. And it's a very difficult subject to talk about because it's easy to say yes, right? 
I hold student loan debt myself, and I would directly benefit from loan forgiveness. But we have to make tough decisions, and some of those tough decisions are really embedded in the American spirit of independence. We are compassionate as we are independent, and it's easy to say yes to the further advancement of the welfare state. It's easy to say yes to the expansion of government if we are perceiving government as providing more services for the people. But as the pages of history have told us, a government large enough to give you everything you need is also large enough to take away everything you have. One of the things that has just blown me away in the last year, because I've talked to lots of people, lots of people live, you know, but also lots of people online, but it's more obvious live, and it's obvious in this theater as well, is that I've gone around and spoken that a large proportion of my audience has been young men, you know, under 30, something like that. I've spoken to them a lot about responsibility. What's so odd about this is that of all the things that I've spoken about, because I can see the audience and I can feel how the audience is reacting, because I'm always paying attention to all of you insofar as I can manage that. So I, I get some sense of how what I'm saying is landing you know which you have to do if you're going to speak effectively to people and what happens is if i talk about responsibilities everyone is silent just like they are now silent and and not moving right focusing attentive say pick up your responsibility pick up the heaviest thing you can and carry it and the room goes quiet and everybody's eyes open and i think that always makes me break up i was I don't, I don't know why I was speaking to an English journalist today who's going to write a, an article in Spectator magazine, and I was talking about this, and at the same point in the discussion, I had the same emotional reaction. I don't really understand it. It's, I think it's something, there's something about it that's so crucial, because, you know, we've been fed this unending diet of rights and freedoms, and there's something about that that's so pathologically wrong, and people are starving for the antidote, and the antidote is truth and responsibility, right? And it it isn't because that's what you should do in some I know better or someone knows better for you what you should do sense. It's that that's the secret to a meaningful life and without a meaningful life then all you have is suffering. I'm going to leave a link to the entire lecture because there's really something to that. I think it's only scratching the surface. Truth, responsibility. That's something that I think we naturally are yearning for. And we have to make those tough decisions to be in harmony with our natural biological predisposition. So that being said, that's the end of today's show. Now, at the very beginning, I did say that I'm going to leave a resource if you are feeling in the Thanksgiving spirit. There's a great organization called Feed My Starving Children. It's actually an organization that my wife and I volunteer at. Uh, They're a great, great partner. And if you feel like donating, they're a great organization. Again, we've donated our time. Um, You know, they run a great lean operation, uh, less than 10% overhead. So the vast majority of those resources are going directly to those that are in need. So I'll leave a link in the show notes if you want to take a look. Other than that, thank you again for joining us today for the Live Wire Politics podcast. If you have a topic you would like us to cover, please give us a, an email at livewirepoliticspodcast at gmail.com. You can also go on to our social media pages 
And if you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, I got to tell you, it's really appreciated. And, you know, we've had quite a bit of reviews now, and it's really helped push the podcast up on the directory. So, again, much appreciation to all of our listeners. Hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time.